Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, good, hi, good morning, Sunday morning, and um, since it's the week of Purim, I'll modify this a little bit. Uh, I'll do a history talk, sort of, not exactly a bio. We're not stuck with anything. Today's podcast is being sponsored by Ari Lichtman. The Lichtman family from Baltimore. Well, thanks for the support. Ari is actually uh, my sister's nephew. Now, I'll leave you to figure all that out. Okay? Uh, my sister lives in Israel. And he's also a father of Moshe, who's a student of mine this year. Uh, so, thank you. And now we'll get right to the chase. It's the week of Purim. So I was thinking of Purim stuff. But when I do a bio, it's more like for the history part. So let me share some thoughts I have on the fascinating question of rabbinical literature in historic context, by which I mean the following. When you see something in a safer, is that influenced by the times in which the author lived? Some people are offended by that. That's simply they don't know what they're talking about. We like to think that, you know, Torah literature kind of happens like in a vacuum. But the fact is, somebody living in Baltimore is to one degree or another going to be affected by living in America, living in Baltimore, in the 21st century, can't help it. You can go for the local culture, against the culture, swim with the idea of society. Otherwise, certain ideas, certain spots will will, uh, be there or not there, depending on the culture in which you live. This is a very deep and and wide subject. I just want to touch on it, you know, get your fingers wet. Uh, Because Purim is a classic case. The literature in Purim down the centuries, all the commentaries on McGill's Esther and so on and so forth. Each one, if you look at, not each one, but many of them, some authors lived in a vacuum, but rarely. Each author, seems to me, all I ever share is my opinion, though usually speaking out of the context in which they live. And one of the classics goes as follows. Now I'll tell you something, because most of the people listening here, Taka lived to a certain degree in cultural insularity in a bubble, and uh, t- unless you, you know, use the internet or something like that, and chances are you probably don't know that Purim is a very unpopular holiday in Christian quarters. Okay? The Christian religion has always had a big problem with Purim and with uh, Miguel Sester. Uh, it was included in the Bible by them, sometimes uh, reluctantly. Uh, they added certain parts to it from the Apocrypha. I won't go into that, you know, what's called the additions to Esther, uh, which are interesting. Uh, but overall, you know, Martin Luther and people like that, especially the founders of Protestantism, they're really ticked off by the fact that the Jews killed all these guys. You understand? Uh, now, the truth of the matter is, it's a funny way of thinking, to art way, and uh, I guess in general. But, you know, I look... Last night, somebody sent me something from the Quora. The way they talk about the Soviet Union, all the rest of it, World War One, World War Two, and you know, I'm interested in the uh, comments. You know, the hawkers. And the bottom line is, what's the difference between Hitler and America? 
Hitler killed civilians. America killed civilians. We killed two million. The Allies bombed Dresden. They bombed Berlin. They killed a million or two uh, German civilians. It's the same thing. So if you can't be machalic between Hitler's Holocaust and not only on Jews, the tens of millions he killed the people not Jewish on purpose. And, you know, Hitler was planning, once he finished it, this is true, once he's planning to finish up the Jews, then he'll go for the others. Get it? The Poles were second in line. I forget who's the third. He was going to wipe them out. So, um, if you can't see the difference between that and somebody retaliating or whatever, then you have a, a basic problem of, of a perpetrator versus defender. Uh, yeah, the Russian army went into Germany in 1945 and raped everybody. That is true. But why'd they do it? <laughs> you know, what did the Germans do to Russia? So you can't say, you went and punched me in the face. And I got, for no reason whatsoever in the world, I got angry, I took out a baseball bat and whacked you over the head. Said, oh, I'm aggressor. No. Who gave you permission to punch me in the face? Especially if you cut me, right? Hitler did more than punch in the face. But if you stabbed me, I went and took a baseball bat and bashed your head in. Oh, just as bad, one's bad at the other. No, one's reacting to the other. That's how we look at the Amalek situation. If you're Jewish. We were leaving Egypt minding our own business. Amalek came and what? Tried to attack us. Oh, like that? Then we're going to take you out. But, as I just said before, if you look over time, time, you know, memory, memory uh, fades over time. So there's a lot of people out there today, 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 who say there's no difference between Americans and the Germans. Americans are Japanese. The Japs went and tortured people. The Americans dropped A-bomb. It's the same thing. They don't see the idea, unless you're a scholar or a serious person, you take it seriously, then you see the fallacy of that way of thinking, of that reasoning. But many dummies out there aren't like that. And so, many, many people will tell you, what's the difference between um, Haman and Mordechai? Haman tried to wipe out Mordechai. Mordechai went and wiped out Haman. Killed his children, and so on and so forth. Uh, and if you say, well, listen, Haman tried to kill us. He said, well, yeah, but you should be better than him. Baloney. Oh, that's a Jewish thing. You, you get it? This is the base of the anti-Semitism and the anti-Semitic way of viewing Purim down the centuries. I'm sorry to say there are many Jewish scholars, you know, more or less secular or extremely left-wing Orthodox that will buy into that also. So if you read, not that I'm telling you to do this, read the liberal press, especially liberal Jewish press, they always have problems with Purim because, you know, why isn't Vashti a feminist hero? You know, that kind of thing. Okay, now... That's if you're living in 21st century America, for example. But people lived in different centuries when they wrote on Miguel Sester. Purim is a fascinating example. We have Purim being a concrete example of what we call Mechias Amalek. I mean, the reason he kills out all the people is to wipe out Amalek. Well, not really. It doesn't say in the Megillah ever, Hamas and Amalek. It says he's a goggy, I know that. But it doesn't say, therefore go and wipe out all the Agagites. It sounds like, had the um, had Haman ne never risen, or better yet, had he, had he never undertaken to bother the Jews, and remember, he was prime minister for X number of years before that, it wasn't bothering anybody, then there'd be no movement in the Jewish community to go wipe out Amalek. So this is just very interesting, because typically we say like this, Mechias Amalek, killing out Amalek, is, is one of 613, uh, which it certainly is. But when you get a little deeper into it, it's not so simple. Uh, I talked about this in my show yesterday. I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast. Take the trouble to look a little bit closer and 
my vehicle for doing so is this a wonderful book, Mitzvah Melech, Rabbi Cement in Chicago, where he went in great arichas on the um, Sefer Mitzvah the Rambam. It's very good, very well well done work. I'm a big fan of it. And if you go to, I'm counting the Rambam's uh, uh, the Tariyag Mitzvahs. If you go to number 188, you see it's, it's the one about wiping out a moat. And as he always does, this Sefer, he lays out what are the Shittas that we shown him out there. What are the uh, official positions within Judaism on the subject of Mocha Moet? Uh, because the Judaism never has a single position. You see? I'm talking about from the from Torah perspective. And so he counts one, two, three, four. Four views on Mechias Amalek. And it'll surprise you, I think. There's the Rambam, the Chinuch, the Arayim, and the Smag. Okay? Now, the Sefer Chinuch is probably the most famous. And the Sefer Chinuch says, everybody, at all times, should kill a Amalekite. If you can. So, if I were alone, like in a movie, you know, if I were alone in the desert, nobody was there, and I had a gun, and I saw a guy, and it was a Amalekite, man or woman, uh, then uh, I should shoot him. That's what Sefer Chinuch says. Anybody says Zohar, according to the Tefer Chinuch, it only applies Jewish men should do it, not Jewish women. That's the basis. The women don't have to go to, uh, to the, you know, to hear the laning on Pasha uh, Zohar. They go like the Chinuch. And all Jewish males, there's an obligation to shoot him, if you can, to kill him. If you have the opportunity. If you bump into somebody that you can ascertain that they're an Amalekite, the Chinuch says, Michalk was written in the 1200s in Spain, right? In Barcelona. And if you had the opportunity and you let it pass, then you walk to Mitzvah and say, That, my friends, is how most of us were raised uh, to understand uh, once a year. Whenever it is that your teachers talked about in school, Mechia Samolek, Pasha Zohar, and all the rest of it, they usually go like the Chinuch. The Rambam, though, for example, and again, I'm just reading what he writes in, the, in this wonderful Savior, Mitzvah Melch. He says, Das Rambam, the Mitzvah Mechia Samolek, who Michovas Tzibor, Velo Michovas Kol Yachab Yachet. That's a national obligation. If you have a Jewish government, I'm talking about a from government, then they have a Chiv to go wipe out a Molek. Not me, not David Katz, not Ari Lichman. You know what I said? If there'll be a government and they'll launch a campaign and we'll get drafted in it or something like that, then we have to participate. There's not Chiv on me as a Yachid. The Rambam says specifically, he says, if you look in the right place in the uh, in Sefer Mitzvah, the Rambam says, now it's in Arabic, this is a Hebrew translation, the Rambam says, if you review all the Mitzvah's essays, Tim you'll find that there are many mitzvahs that apply to the tzibur, not to the yachid, to the community, to the nation, as a nation, and not to the individual. So Rama specifically says that the whole business of Amalek applies when there's a Jewish government, a king, like happened with Saul, with Shaul, Shaul Amalek, right? Not Mordechai, not Esther. You know, they didn't have the Jewish government at that time. They were living under Achashverosh. Akati Avdi Achashverosh. They were Jews just, just citizens, subjects in a, in a large empire. So according to Rambam, 
there was no chiyuv to wipe out Amalek. Therefore, until Haman threatened the Jews with Mamish killing them, the Jews weren't doing anything. When their backs were to the wall, and may I say, when there was no way out, so she bumped off Haman, and then they used the opportunity, because they had no choice, to designate the same day that the anti-Semites were supposed to go out against us, the designated day we can go against them. Do you understand what the story of poor Miss many don't? What they basically said was, there will be one day a year coming up on the 13th of Adar, in which the police will not be on duty. <laughs> right? I'll take a vacation. Like Minneapolis with the liberals after the Black Lives Matter the riots. Remember, the, the, the city council voted to, to fire the cops. <laughs> All right? So, the king, at, or Haman, issued a decree, and it basically says, So what it means is, on that day, the army of the cops will stay home. Anybody wants to can go and shoot a Jew, and there will be no... Uh, the punishment. Oh yeah, yo, yo, yo. If that's the case, then anybody with a twenty-two, you know, anybody with a meat cleaver, will go to the Jewish neighbor and take everything they have and kill them. Based on, based on the idea, of why not? So the decree was to allow a lawlessness on that day, thirteenth of Adar. Which, by the way, is the same thing happened many times in Jewish history. If you know the history of the pogroms in Russia, for example, that's what happened. They used to, the, 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 let's put it this way, the fix was in, the word was out from the Tsar's government, you know, indirectly, that in this, in this town, this, in this province, there'll be no cops. And in other words, they'll, they'll be, um, they'll take off the day. Whenever any Russian wants to go and kill the Jews, rape and pillage and this and that and the other, there'll be no consequences. God forbid anything that should ever happen in America. Um, we all know that. By the way, I'm going to tell you something. Anybody, Jewish or not, should be terrified of that. I remember listening when I, you know, this year uh, I'm teaching college from the Zoom. But usually I have to go down to school. I drive to Hopkins. That's a 20 minute drive. And I have a habit when I go, it's a Tuesday, Thursdays, I always listen to the Black Station, W, whatever it is. Haven't done it now in a year because of the corona. Just like to hear what's going on in the community. And I remember there was something about. We had riots a couple years ago in Baltimore. And basically, the policy of the mayor at that time was to re restrain the police. She had her reasons, but I'm just saying. So I heard the guy in the black station say, the mayor's restraining the police. I got a gun in my... This is what the guy's saying on the black station. I got a gun in my house. I'm telling everybody else to. Anybody comes to you, shoot to kill. You know what I'm saying? Shoot to kill. So he was talking about if the riots will hit his black neighborhood. I'm just telling you, there's not only a Jewish thing, it's anything if there's, if the, if the law and order breaks down, then it's Hutra Ritua. So that's what happened in Purim. Or at least that was destined to happen. As we know, Haman got killed and all that before it happened. And by the time the story's over, Mordecai, the best he could do was flip it and say, okay, it's also permitted since there'll be no cops that day. The Jews can get a 22, <laughs> right? And we're going to form one giant JDL like Kahana, you know, and we're going to, and just like the anti-Semites in every town in the Persian Empire, making a list of all the Jews, you know, Katz has a house, Lichman has a house, this one has a house, this one has a car, this one has a business, take them out. So now, the shoe's on the other foot, the Jews can do that too. 
You understand? Know it didn't say, remember, the king can't revoke the old law. You know, right? It does say a melech, below yavor, whatever it is. King can't revoke the old law in, in Persia. So, basically, let's let, let's go mano a mano. <laughs> you understand? Know There's going to be a day 13th of Adar. The police and all that will be home. Uh, it's the anti-Semitic team against the Jewish team. You guys got shotguns, we got shotguns. I got some friends of mine like that, you know. Uh, you guys, you guys got nunchucks. We got, you know, we 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 got forty fives and grenades. And this was considered terrible. You see, the people say, "What I?" And as a result, the Jews killed seventy five thousand. That's the story. Now, you get the impression. Uh, well, it's pretty clear that since Mordechai was the top dog now. The prime minister, so the local cops and stuff like that, honored the Jews. So they certainly didn't interpret their their strike on that day as being anti-Semitic. Maybe they said like this, if the Jews want to come in and pick up something from the police arsenal, you can do that too. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was, a Jew, it was a two gangs. That's what porn was. There two gangs all over the Persian Empire. The anti-Semitic gang and the Jewish gang. The anti-Semites did not like the fact that the Jews can do the same thing. See, they didn't like a Jew with a twenty-two. You see? And by the time it's over, the Jews busted him. And that's exactly what porn's all about. So I'm just trying to tell you that it wasn't simply the Jews said, oh, let's go and kill out all these people. There's a context. They were out to kill us. Now, um, that's the regular way of looking at a mullet. But the if you go like the Rambam... Um, so there was no chiv. I'm talking about halachic now. I'm sp- speaking the halachic language. There's no chiv to going against Amalek because there was no Jewish king, no, no, no Jewish state. They did it out of self-defense. You get it? If you go like the other shittas, I would say the Tosafistic shita, meaning the Urayim and the Smog. If you know they are from the Balitosis, they say that... Um, First of all, the Urayim, he says, says on a melech and not on Sheretz Yisrael. Specifically, the, the Mechias HaMelech applies only to a king and not to Klal Yisrael. Isn't that interesting? Only to a king. And the Smog goes farther. And this in a Hagos Maimini on the Rambam. I did it in the show yesterday. The HaMelech, the Smog says, Smog is a safer Mrs. Gedolos. This called one of the Balitoshas. Uh, he says that the, the obligation of wiping a mullet ain't no no haggis only most melcha moshiach lacha kibush arts. Isn't that remarkable? It's for the future, it's not for now. It's actually based on a mechilta and so forth. Uh, when you're totally at rest from all your enemies, Timcha Zech HaMolik. So, in other words, according to everybody except the Chinuch, the Chiyas HaMolik does not apply to you and me today. You see? Even if there were a Molokaitzel around. Doesn't apply to you and me today. It's a funny. He goes in Great Arichas. I won't do that. I'm just sharing it because many people don't know that. Now, having said that, by the time the story's over, the whole Haman family, or not the whole, but many, are killed, hanged simultaneously, and so on and so forth. Doesn't say what they did to Zeresh and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't say they killed women. It said they killed 75,000 after them. But it's a complex story. In spite of everything I just said, Christians particularly, and nowadays Persians, for their own reasons, for political reasons, read the book 
of Esther is an anti-Goy um, tract and an anti and, and a genocidal tract. What's his name? Really went nuts over it. Uh, Martin Luther. He found the Protestants. He wrote about. He said, "I hate the Book of Esther." Sure, because he wanted that he should kill them, not the other way around. Now I'll tell you what's really interesting to me. Uh, I, one of my favorite, maybe my favorite uh, source every year when it comes to porn is Rabbeinu's Ashitz. I like his writings. And especially, he's particularly um, original and fertile on Purim Tyra. That's who he is. You know, it's his style. You like it or you don't like it. I happen to like it. Not for everybody. And if you know anything about Jonas and Amish's was, I don't know if I did a podcast him. I must have. Uh, it has nothing to do with them and Amish's uh, country. Leave that aside. As big rabbis go, he was unusually familiar with the Christians. Um... He was in Prague for a long time. He knew the Jesuits very well over there. This is a basic feature of Abish's biography. He knew German and Latin, which was unusual for rabbis. He was a, he even was a kind of a lawyer. You know, you know, Saint Abish was a kind of a lawyer. Besides being a Russian Shiva and all the other stuff, um, certain type of lawyer. He had a lot of intercourse with the uh, Christian intellectuals, especially the Jesuit priests who ruled the roost. In Prague, he had negotiations with them, with Hassel Bauer and the other uh, big Jesuit uh, uh, priests. He's the only guy, they said, they said, whom they could discuss religion with because the other Rabbanim don't know nothing about Christianity and don't care. So, you know what I mean? No, you're not going to go to Rechaim Kanievsky and have a debate about fine points of Jewish and Christian theology. He doesn't know what you're talking about. He's not interested. <laughs> right? Rebel Yashiv. But Yonah Samishas was like that. He did. By the way, Yaakov Emden also was like that. It's interesting. 18th century. And we know that Yonah Samishas engaged in a fair amount of discussions, intercourse with the Christian intellectuals. And Ad Kedekach, that the Catholic Church, Jesuits, were getting rid of destroying uh, 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 physical editions of the Gemara, of the Talmud. They wouldn't let new ones be printed. Many times the Jesuits raided the yeshivas in Jewish quarters and invoked old, out-of-date Catholic laws to confiscate all the uh, Hebrew books in Prague, which is the biggest Muslim tour in the world at that time. And the thing had 7,000 population, which was big, 7,000 Jews. And uh, I remember they put them in cellars where they rotted and things like that. They didn't burn them, but they came out to the same end. And so it was really tough. And Rionis and Amish, it's in a very, very controversial move for which he was criticized. He negotiated with the Catholic Church and he said, let me uh, publish a uh, edition of the Talmud Bavli and I will censor the parts you don't like for you. Take my word for it. So in other words, he didn't, the halacha part, they don't care because they couldn't understand it and weren't interested. But the Agatha parts, especially anything that to do with the Yashka, things like that, he says, I'll take care of that. He was severely criticized by other Jews for that. This is what he did. And he published one or two or three volumes of it. You can it, It's rare, but if you go online, you can find it if you're that type. Right? You can ask Chaim Meisman, he'll help you uh, get a hold of it online. Anyhow, the bottom line is that we're dealing with somebody who's quite aware of what others think about Jews and how others, especially Christians, read the Bible. And therefore... He was aware, I'm persuaded, of these well-known 
Christian critiques of the Esther story, right? And it's within that context that um, I find it fascinating that I look, there's a passage in Jonas and Abishitz which he, he weaves together in the following way. And listen to this. Um, he quotes the Gemara in uh, Miguel that I think many know, which is that Esther, after the Purim story was over, Shalch Esther Chacham and Kavun Esther said to the Chacham and make a holiday out of me, you know, Purim. Shalch the Chacham didn't want to do it. They said, Kino Atma Umas. You cause a lot of hatred and, and, and jealousy among the Goyim. As Rashi said, because of, which happened. The Chacham were not wrong. They said, you know, people read the Esther story. Right or wrong, they'll say the Jews are anti-Goyim and look how they killed everybody and they're just as bad as Haman and so on and so forth. Shalchalahem. So what's fascinating to me is she did not contest this. And she didn't challenge them and say, you're wrong. She said, you're right. And when you read the story, it will be true that it'll leave a bad taste in the mouth of somebody who's not Jewish. And I might add today, somebody who's a liberal, liberal Jew. But she said, This is in, in, in the Persian history books. The whole story. Which means you gain nothing because the guy didn't know about it anyway. Okay, the guy didn't know about it anyway. It's in their books. He might as well do it. Now, by the way, just as an aside, you know, maybe the Chacham were right in the long run because all the history books of the Persians are lost. Divrayim, Lamachim, Mother Parts don't exist anymore. We lost all that stuff. I'm talking from the Persian archaeology point of view. It's all gone, all, uh, 99%. Uh, that's why when people say, who's Achashosh, all the rest of it, if you want to give a from answer, you say, we, you know, we don't know all the kings of Persia. We know the ones that Herodotus shared with us and things like that. Yeah, I know that too. You know, Cyrus, uh, Cambyses, and Xerxes, and so forth and so on. But we don't know the whole story. But anyway, uh, and so the Chacham could have said, I guess, if you would just not make a holiday called Purim and Miguel Sester, over the course of time, the Persian records will be bottled, forgotten, and then we would know about the story of Esther. But as we all know, it, it, it got in. And then Beyonce and Abishitz goes on to say as follows. Hatam Shemeyanu Chachmei Yisrael Lechtoba Miguel why did the Chacham uh, not want to include the Megillah in, in the Bible? Because the guy won't like us. They'll consider us people with bad Midos, very vengeful and so forth. He's exactly right. To know, as I'm telling you right now, I'm convinced. Jonas Amschitz knew the New Testament very well. He knew a lot of the Christian literature more than you would think. It's surprising. He had unusually wide knowledge of all this Christian stuff in a way, for example, the Grah, I'm sure, didn't. And they'll get angry at us because it's not a Mita Toba to take revenge on your enemies. In other words, you know, the Christians say, turn the other cheek. True, Homan was out to kill you, but once you were saved, you should have let him go. You understand? Boy, he sounds like he's writing for the New York Times. That the Chacham were saying the Jews will look bad, and on the contrary, if they want to look up in the eyes of the Goyim, Lefimidah Bahaskel, according to regular ethics and morality, the Jews should be in Rachmim, Lakarmel Chomim. This is Mamish, a liberal um, uh, uh, discourse. Uh, 
how should I say, you have a teachable moment. You should have used it to persuade the Homan people that violence is not the right way. You know, that uh, kumbaya, everybody should get along to each other, and so on and so forth. In other words, to kill Homan, Newt Mela. But that was necessary. But only the minimum amount of violence. Why'd you go so far? Vlochain, by Harbi Makomos, and the other ancient says like this: Really, Jews are not bad people. We really are beteva, the softies. That is exactly why he says the Torah has to repeatedly warn us to kill Amalek. Kiluli asaras Torah, because if the Torah didn't constantly hammer it into our heads, people would say, even though Amalek hurt the Jews way back in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. We should try to do a teachable moment and try to respond to them with good. I myself, I don't want to get too personal here. I had a certain rabbi come to my show once, a liberal type guy, uh, one of the Orthodox, and uh, there was a peculiar circumstance. Bottom line was, you know, I guess, remember a Moloch, but don't be like a Moloch. <laughs> you know, uh, it reminds me when, um, who was it? Eichmann was um, arrested by the Jews and tried in Israel and condemned to hang. And they did hang him. So a lot of liberals, including many Jewish intellectuals back in 1962, came and said, don't hang him. This is a teachable moment, you know, show him mercy. Um, Including uh, very big liberal Jewish intellectuals. And (laughs) I was a little kid, I mean, I was a baby at the time, but... uh, you know, Martin Buber and this guy and that guy, uh, Professor Simon and all, they all said, don't give a death penalty. Uh, but they interviewed Harry S. Truman. <laughs> I was out of office. And they said, what should be done? He says, hang the SOB. <laughs> you know? Uh, and I remember my father saying, it's me, Kamchi Israel, go Yechabards. <laughs> but um, here you have your understanding, you know, admitting that this is the way Jews are taken this to look like. But really, we're not like that. And I think he's right. Most Jews, most of the time, are softies. Um, Usually. Okay? Now, Olakach is here a Torah. Therefore, Yonis Angels goes on to say that that is exactly why the Torah has to warn you. When it comes to Amalek, don't let your natural kindness prevail. Lo kim ba'amalek. Bezeh lo tachmo. Ki ena kisei sholem baruchu shalonis because things aren't right in the heavenly throne unless you wipe out a molly. And the government won't understand that. In other words, that there's an exception to every rule, including the exception of being a nice guy. 99% of the time, you should be a nice guy. In relating to all other nations, you should be nice. If they harm you, you should try to come constructive dialogue. A molly is an exception. And the government will say, that the Jews are at Midas Rose. And the opposite, the story of Purim, the story of Amalek, is not atypical, but typical of the Jews. And therefore, Esther wrote, in response to this, because the Chacham were not wrong, he it's already in the history books. So here he puts his own twist. I don't hold from this, but put his own twist. It's in the Persian history books that the king gave the order to wipe out the anti-Semites. 
Alright, but the point of the matter is the typicality or atypicality of the way they treated the Amalekites. And then, Yonah Sanchez says in his typical way, and by the way, now I can tell you a vart. Why does it say, Because we get so drunk. Do you know the difference between He himself has like 30 interpretations. This is one of the 30. And he says, the Yishkach also means you should get so drunk. Mashat uh, You should get so drunk that you that the natural Jew comes out, and not this atypical Jew. That your natural liberal tendency should emerge under the influence of alcohol, because you know when you're drunk, your guard is down, and the real you comes out, and the real you would not kill Haman, right? The Yishkach Lerosh Tiyasa Mashat Tzivsa Torah. You go by your natural instincts. Which means, you won't say Ar Haman anymore. Because you say, you know, Haman, it's a shame, Taka. We could have used reason with him. I want to tell you something. Me, myself, and I. A couple of years ago, I went to I went to Shul. It was in the papers. I don't know how many years ago now. Uh, on a Shabbos afternoon. The whole team of inner-city basketball kids, the long and the short of it is they pelted me with stones. Um, they got in the papers and the city council, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was pretty doggone angry, as you would imagine. And I get them a piece of my mind. It's a long story. And once I got in the papers, the question was, you know, how should you react to it? And I have a friend of mine, a very nice lady, but she's very liberal, um, much more than myself. And she said, oh, this could have been a teachable moment, you know. It's only when I told her, you know, the cops said I should shoot him or something like that, because they were very angry about the incident. Then she changed her mind. So, oh, if the police said it, okay. In other words, she was just swinging in the wind with the prevailing what she thought is the proper liberal response. Uh, but you understand this is saying over here, person should get so drunk that she'd be holding by that lady. You understand? That... Uh, it comes on poor and I say, you know, Homan wasn't that bad of a guy. He was misunderstood. Could have been worked out better. Esther didn't have to hang him, and so on and so forth. Could have persuaded the Jews were not out to get you. Mordechai has nothing personal against you. The only reason he's not bowing down to you because of the idol. Blah, 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 blah. Kfiateva ain't linkom Because the natural Jew, which revealed itself under the drunkenness, the natural Jew would. Um, you know, uh, be nice and kind and, and, and liberal about it. But that's only when you see a state of drunkenness. He does not dispute the fact that the mitzvah was to kill out Haman and Amalek and the Jews did, did the right thing. So, why am I uh, mentioning this to you? First of all, it's a good word. It's, inter- it's an interesting word. But second of all, there's no question in my mind there are Bionis and Apeshits writing this in the 1730s, I imagine, 1720s, and hearing all this stuff from the Christians all the time about how bad the Jews were in the time of Mordechai and Haman, he's responding to it. You see, this is the word he came up stomping the Velterine uh, out of thin air. Sometimes they are like that. But very often they're responding to specific historical conditions. To me, this passage in the uh, Yaroslavash, which I found in the Shul Gadol, which I told you the other day, collects all this stuff along uh, along lines of Miguel. It's wonderful, safer, in my opinion. 
here's a perfect reflection. Like if I wanted to do a uh, a, uh, a paper at a conference, you can see, you know, contemporary events in the early 1700s reflected in uh, the rabbinic lit or rabbinic sermons. This would be a classic example because uh, a, a Jew who's not in touch with the outside civilization the lives true life of true cultural and society, wouldn't even occur to him. He said, homos are moms, they're killing them all, you know? <laughs> Shoot the babies. What do I care? They're all out to get us. Same way he said with Hitler, wipe them out. Only somebody that interacts with others and is therefore aware of other points of view, um, which is not a bad thing, it's a good thing to know what other points of view are, then takes the trouble to integrate this into the way they read the story. As a, here's a classic example that I say all the time. The Torah goes against the current culture very often. Many of the contemporary values society are not identical to the Torah, particularly today in the sexual area, but in other areas as well. Here's one of them. Right? Here's one of them. How do you act to your hereditary enemies? Right? Especially, what's the right way that if it's going to be 13th of other coming and these guys across the street are all pulling out machine guns, you know, uh, and bazookas, uh, you know, because the cops aren't going to be there, should you go and say, like, let's have a discussion. Let's have a conflict resolution um, uh, meeting. You know what I'm saying? Let's bring in the Quakers. Or do you say like this, I'm getting a howitzer. <laughs> I'm getting a, a, a 75. You're going to get a bazooka? I'm going to get a 75. I'm going to nuke you. You see? So these, I think, are very interesting um, uh, insight into the... Uh, interpretation of aspects of the Purim story. That's what I want to share with you again. Again, I thank the Lichtman family for being sponsors. We actually can use a few um, if anybody will step forward. And with that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.com support.rabbidavidkatz.com